When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. All right, Greg. Yes, we are, what, Tuesday night trying to figure out whether or not there's actually going to be a football game this week. We feel pretty good about it. We feel like there could be, if not most likely be, a football game coming up on Sunday. Now this game, of course, has been moved since the last time we spoke with you to Sunday, Broncos versus the Patriots. But we're not going to get into that game just yet. We figured we'd focus on something else. And, Greg, it seems like Plus a Plus, we've time. already done the game. <laughs> That's Last true. Week. That's true. Maybe we had some different thoughts, maybe yeah. some late-breaking things. Everything's running into each other. But we figured as we're approaching the trade deadline, there's going to be no bye week now. We just went through the bye week, so the Patriots yep. don't have that bye week we expected. So we might as well just sit back, kind of kick our feet up, and talk about what this team could be looking for, who's possibly out there, who we like for them to go after. So uh, let's get it started. I mean, you've got your list from bostonsportsjournal.com. The trade deadline, of course, coming up in about three weeks. You say the Patriots need to make a deal right now. And let's start with tight end, of course, Devin Asiasi. I think has, what, one-third of the snaps that Rob Gronkowski had in his rookie season at this point. Uh, Dalton Keene has been MIA. You've got Izzo, who seems like a, you know, Izzo seems like a pretty good third option, possible second option, depending Mm -hmm. on how good your first is. So tell me about tight end. Yeah, I mean, Nick, I don't know about you, but to me, tight end is clearly the need that needs to be addressed on this team. I think that, you know, you could make the argument for linebacker, and um, you'll we'll probably get into that where my uh, my dream scenario is getting uh, Deion Jones from the Falcons and and uh, somehow maybe a Tooney trade or something like that. So I, I wouldn't argue with linebacker. I think they could use another body, somebody athletic uh, who could be a little bit more disruptive, make a few more plays than right. Juwan Bentley. Receiver, you could certainly make an argument there. I just worry about sort of the trickle-down effect. I mean, if you bring in somebody, let's say uh, a Golden Tate, or I don't think A.J. Green, I don't think the Bengals don't make any moves. Uh, You know, let's say Julio Jones. Say the Falcons start unloading people. Like, what do you do with Nikhil Harry now? Now does he go to the number three or number four receiver all of a sudden? Do the Patriots want to do that? I don't know. And you could also make the case for defensive tackle, especially considering Byron Cowart just went on the COVID-19 list and basically leaves – Lawrence guy all by himself in the defensive tackle room um, for the Patriots. So, but for me, it's at least I think the Patriots at other spots could make it work. And they have so far. 
as far as you know playing more safeties at linebacker uh receiver you know I, I think there's still room to grow for that group the more they play especially with cam newton coming back and defensive tackle they always sign some guy and plug him in and he does fine but tight end they they're just getting nothing nick i mean seven targets through four games is just it's pathetic and it's yeah. you know if you thought last year was bad in last year as part of my column on bsj i went through basically like the last 10 years at quarterback and how much the the tight end position has been a part of the passing offense. Last year dropped to a low of 10%. This year is half that. So last year wasn't good enough. This year certainly isn't (laughs) good enough. And so I think that they need to do something. And I think, you know, I'm calling in order, I'm calling the Browns about Njoku because I think you have the best chance to get a decent price for him because they have a couple of tight end options. I think Ingram for the Giants would be a little bit um, a higher price because Gettleman's probably not ready to uh, sell the farm. And plus, in the NFC East, who knows what the heck's going to win that division. And they're still in it, even if they're winless. Um, I think Gerald Everett, in terms of uh, you know athletic guys, uh, they have Higby, so maybe they're willing to move on for a guy in the final year of his deal. Uh, Zach Ertz and Philly. Uh, I've mentioned him in the past. I don't know. He, he, the more I read about him writing this story, the more he wants uh, he wants to get paid. That's yeah, the whole a, reason why he's having an argument with the Eagles. Is that yeah, he's got a contract thing? Yep. Yeah, he he does. He's he's on the books. I think he has two more years left on his deal. He certainly has next year, and he's making eight and a half, and he's not happy with that. So he wants a new deal. The Patriots aren't going to give him that kind of money, especially he's thirty now and on the downside of his career. So. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, a lower priced option to give them another, uh, probably a better receiving threat would be old friend, Jacob Hollister from the Seahawks, who last year when he got more time, when Will Disley was hurt, uh, he did a nice job. He did a nice job. He had, you know, somewhere in around, uh, you know, 45 catches last year, but now that they went out and got, um, who's the guy from Carolina, uh, Greg Olson. Greg Olson. They got Greg Olson uh, to give a little bit more of a you know veteran receiving threat, and Disley's back now. Hollister suddenly doesn't have a role and he doesn't have anything to do. He would certainly upgrade the Patriots in terms of an athletic guy who can catch the ball right now and knows the offense. It would probably be very cheap for them to get. So. Uh, you know, that's sort of where I am on tight end. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about Njoku because of his health. I'm yep. concerned about a number of guys because of their health as well. So when I look at the list that you put together, the guy that jumps out to me is Gerald Everett. I feel like yep. I know what Hollister is. Again, you've got some health questions. I'm concerned about Zach Ertz's contract situation, and I've watched the Eagles a number of times this year. He doesn't look as spry. Now, maybe that's because they're not using him the same way, but he doesn't look like the same guy. They might be going away from him, but Dallas Goddard's been banged up. So to me, it feels like they need a tight end within that offense. So why is he not getting as much love? That's an interesting question that I haven't been able to answer just yet. So I look at Everett. I say he's athletic. He can catch the football. He, you know, he's battling with a lot of guys out there in L.A. We know McVay loves to throw the football, but he's got Cooper Cup. He's got Reynolds. He's got other guys. You mentioned Higby. So I think he's one of those guys that could possibly be a number one tight end in the right role with the right situation, and he's just healthier, and he has no contract stuff hanging over his head either. So 
the guy I look at is is Everett. Now, as far as linebacker, you mentioned Deion Jones. I don't but think hey, hang on. Before we go to linebacker, let okay. me we'll just expand a little bit on I agree with you on Njoku. Like he's he seems to be always hurt, but he's he's talented. He's a kid who uh, I think he ran a fast time at, out of the combine. Uh, you, I think they picked up his first, uh, fifth year option, so yeah. that's there. I think it's around like six or seven for next yep. year. So at least you know you're getting a second year out of him. And you know now that he's back from injury, maybe you're getting him. Maybe he's had his injury issue for the year, and he's going to be fine. Hopefully, fingers crossed. The same could be said yeah. for Evan Ingram. That's another yeah, guy it, exactly. He, another guy who's been beat up a lot. Yep. You know, talk about a, tre- a tremendous upside in terms of his speed and athletic ability, and and have they gotten the best out of him with Daniel Jones and all the changes there? Could he could he benefit by a chain of scenery yes i think so and but i think everett is interesting he's a guy who i've had my eye on for a couple years and because he looks like when you watch him play or you see him on the field you're like oh that guy looks like a prototypical athletic tight end that can make plays in the passing game but it hasn't been put together and that it hasn't come together with him with mcveigh which i wouldn't say is an overly complex system it 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 leads me to believe there are a bunch of red flags in terms of, you know, football IQ, buy-in, toughness, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's not working with him. And if it's not working with him with McVay, uh, who comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree, and we all know how much they love tight ends, and that he got passed by Tyler Higby, who is a is a is a good tight end, but nothing great. It, I just have a lot of questions about that, and so. Yeah, I mean, in terms of athletic ability, if you're looking for upside and something that you might not get from Izzo, Asiasi at some point, and Keen, then those are definitely the three guys that you – if you're the Patriots, you're going to Nick Casario and the pro personnel department saying, like, all right, what's the deal with these guys? Let's watch some film and then sort of ranking them and taking the best guy. I, I think if it were me – I think in terms of ask, I would ask about Ingram first, but I don't think it's going to be a good answer. Then uh, Nujoku, and then Everett. And then we can get into sort of backup options if if the price isn't reasonable. Yeah, I just want to make sure that the guy can make the club because he's not in the tub, right? I mean, yep. if, if you got somebody like Njoku and Ingram who has the long lineage, long history of having injury issues, I don't know if I want to you know mess around with that and give up an asset for it. But you know, listen, sometimes you take the swing and depending on how much you're asking for, if, if you're telling me that you can get Njoku for like a, a fourth round pick or something, then I would take the swing and the risk with the health. Uh, yeah. As far as linebacker, I, I don't want to pay too much attention to Deion Jones, the game, that names you brought up, Zach Cunningham. Uh, what I did want to mention when I was reading at Boston Sports Journal, you're right up on on what the Patriots need and, and, and some of the targets. You mentioned Anthony Jennings and what stood out to me was you said, you know, you've seen some things. I'm paraphrasing, but you've yep. seen some things that make you feel pretty good about Jennings. What have you seen, and when did you start to really see it? Uh, well, he did start to come on in training camp, but um, and I, and I think he got in there. Was it week one or week two? He played a little bit, and and you know, I saw some things there. There was it, it, quite honestly, there was one play in this last game against the Raiders where. Uh, he 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 avoided a cut. Or sorry, the Chiefs game. He avoided a cut by a running back, and he reminded me a lot of Hightower in terms of 
you know, like sort of when the high tower has been skinny, athletic high tower. Yeah. Um, you know, he really, he evaded the cut and then got after the quarterback and made a nice pressure. And it just, he looked, he looked like an athletic linebacker who can make plays. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. I want to see more of that. (laughs) We don't see a lot of that right now. Yeah. No, I know. And, and, and this is almost a side discussion in terms of, you know, Belichick and, and look, he knows way more, not only about football, but about these players, you know, he sees them every day in practice, but he just has, and this is coming from talking to people around the team because, you know, assessing what the team needs, you need to assess, all right, well, what do they think about the younger players? Right. Do they think they're going to get help? Because if not, then they need to go get something. And, you know, Belichick, just for whatever reason, he just, he has an aversion to rookies. Like unless, unless press into it by injury or uh, the players just so far and away better than what they have, then, and, 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 sort of shows wisdom beyond their years, Belichick has a tough time trusting them. I mean, it's like, you know, that's why Juwan Williams never got on the field last year. That's why Kyle Duggar really didn't cover Travis Kelsey that much in the Chiefs game because I think Belichick just didn't want to risk, uh, you know, a mental error from a rookie. And, you know, it's a little bit frustrating because I do think I do think some of these guys are are capable of things. And, and Nick, we even talked about it before in terms of the whole Aqib Tlaib offseason story where he yeah. said that Belichick offered him $6 million to cover tight ends. Yep. And, and, and now in hindsight, I'm like, well, thank goodness he turned that down because he basically forced Belichick to play Juwan Williams, <laughs> who makes $500,000, and he's doing a good job. Yeah. Like, he's done a nice job. So that's – not only is that fiscally responsible, but that's also – you know, it's good for the team that you're playing younger guys and you see what they're capable of. So, um, yeah, I mean, I want to see Jennings on the field more. I want to see Uche on the field more, which – Hopefully it will happen when he comes back from injury. But he's he was get healthy. Yeah, he's he's got to get healthy. I was I excited mean, to see him play. And but even before that, Nick, we talked about. I'm telling you, from day one of training camp, he was a starter. Which you see that, and you're like, all right, well, holy cow. Then all of a sudden, we get out there week one, and who's out there? Brandon Copeland. There was no injury for Uche. He just Belichick trusted a veteran who's played in the league for a while even though Copeland is not that good at really anything. I mean, he's, he's a fine player to have around, and he's a good sort of depth guy. Right. But, you know, why not just throw Uche out there? And that, I think that goes to Belichick's sort of uh, aversion to rookies. All right, let's touch on one last thing here. You've got wide receiver because everybody loves the sexy Greg. And oh, God. Wide receiver. Yeah, the, the, uh, the uh, sexy conversation. And I, I said this on EEI last week. My guy, it's funny, I, I was reading your piece at bostonsportsjournal.com, and our number one, we match here. Uh, it's Golden Tate. Golden Tate's the okay. guy to me that is somebody you can bring in. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's not just a slot guy. He plays mostly slot, but he's played on the outside. Um, he's He was, at least, before he went to the Giants, which has pretty much been a disaster thanks to David Gettleman. But when you look at you know his prior couple of years before getting to New York, he was a yak machine, which I think this team could use. And he's again, he's just you mentioned about Belichick and veterans and rookies. He should be a dependable veteran. I, the only question I have about Golden Tate is the money. He's got a couple of years left. 
I think yep. one year is you know six eight and a half million or eight million. The other mm-hmm. the other year is around six million. So he'd have to work, I think, with the Patriots regarding the money. But we know that they had interest in him the last time around before he signed with New yep. York. We know New York is going absolutely nowhere. They stink. And if I'm Golden Tate, I'm about what 31, 32 years old, and I'm saying to myself, this might be my last shot. Let me go play with Cam. Let's see if we can rekindle something here in my own career and help this team out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, you know, he is now, I'm looking at, uh, let's see, how old is he? I'm looking. Oh, he's 32. Yeah. He's 32. So, you know, you don't exactly want to invest in those guys. At least you're not giving them a signing bonus or anything like that. I mean, he is on the books for his base salary is eight and a half next year. It's six million in 2022. You're getting another couple years out of him, but he is, you know, he's just, he's just a gamer. I mean, he, he is a prototypical sort of Patriots receiver in that he knows how to get open. He's tough as hell. He knows how to win. Like, I think, I think you look at this receiving group uh, in general for the Patriots. I mean, okay. So you have Nikhil Harry, you have Edelman, you know, who, the state of Edelman right now, I don't think is good. I think it's and, telling that you let off with Harry and had Edelman second. I think that's. I think that says a lot. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it does. Now, you know, now that you mention it, uh, Demir Bird, maybe Gunnar Olszewski, and like Ryan Izzo, and maybe Jacoby Myers gets out there or whatever. But like, you know, outside of Edelman, none of those guys know how to win. They none of those guys have been in big games. And right. these game, we know that these games are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger for this team from from here on out. And who knows? You know, some of these guys might surprise us and become, you know, especially a guy like Gunnar Olszewski, I think, has a lot of upside. And I think he is tough and has sort of that, you know, dirt dog mentality. But the Patriots don't have a lot of those right now. And I think just in terms of attitude and experience, I think a guy like Golden, he's the first guy I'm calling about for sure. Golden Tate. And then we'll see what happens. Like I don't, I don't want the flashy guy. I'm not interested in fantasy. You know, AJ Green, who I think is a bum at this point, gets hurt all the time. Yeah, I think he's toast. Julio Jones certainly in his prime was tremendous, and the Patriots saw that up close in that Super Bowl. Some of the catches, you know, Belichick even talked about. I think recently about like you know just that Julio Jones catch. Like you know, that's an example of like you can't cover it any better. They just made a play. Yeah. So. He gives you that type of play that you you won't get from anybody else. But I, I I'm just I'm, I'm adverse I'm adverse to those guys. I want I want gamers. I want tough guys. I want guys who know how to play in weather, who are tough, not guys who come from domes and things like that. So yeah, I'm on Team Golden Tate too. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad you're on the same team. Uh, <laughs> as far as guys, uh, of course, this goes the other way too, right? I mean, we talk about who the Patriots can bring in, but a guy that a lot of people have brought up about possibly shipping out is Joe Tooney. And Greg, you know, before this season kicked off, you might look at this roster and say, ah, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to deal Tooney. I don't know if that's a good idea because it's a young offensive line, yada, yada. Well, now we look at it. We see what happened. You know, the last time we see that team out there Monday night football against Kansas City last week, and you've got three of your starting linemen out, and it really didn't hurt them. So I think looking at this, if you know David Andrews can come back and be relatively healthy, I don't think it's crazy to think that Tooney could be gone when you look at Anwanu and, and Mason. 
being able to hold down the guard positions. Yep. I think it makes it more likely. I don't know if he's going to be gone, but I do think when you look at where this line is now compared to where it was, or at least we thought it was five, six weeks ago, you feel much better about the idea of dealing Tooney. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but, you know, look, Tooney's going to, you're, you're going to have to get something of substance for Tooney. Right, right. Like, I'm not, I'm not letting him go for, you know, some fly by night guy. Like, you know, but the, you, look, you also have to factor in the Tooney contract situation into all this. I mean, because he's, he's, he's on the books for 14 and a half million. So the trading team will get every week will be less. But then, you know, basically you're lopping off half of that that you don't have to worry about. So, you know, about, you know, seven, seven million dollars, seven and a half million dollars that the Patriots can apply to next year when I think cap money every single dollar is going to be worth like about three times what it is in a normal year because of the restrictions that we're going to have right um and also you have to realize all right well i'm not going to tag tooney so he's likely going to walk and so it, it that means that you're going to get a third round comp pick for him like you should be able to do better than that right now yeah because you're going to need to keep the franchise tag open for cam Yep. In, in all likelihood. And so, all right, so would you rather have a, uh, you know, a look, I, I'm calling the, the the Falcons about Deion Jones, like a Jones for Tooney swap, because uh, I do think they're getting their – they've always – I think part of their biggest problems with the Falcons is they're shaky on the offensive line and they've gotten old and I don't think they're that good and they can't protect Matt Ryan who needs more and more protection every year. And, you know, so I, I'm looking at that sort of – of deal because I want something of substance for, for Tooney. Other than that, I might even think about a pick too. You know, I, I might think about a, you know, first round pick. I, I think that's a bit of a reach because the team knows that they're going to have to pay him a contract. So that always lessens the the compensation, but right. you know, you get a two for him now and then maybe apply that in another deal. Uh, I, I would be willing to entertain it. Cause like you said, I think uh Owenu is a guy who, He's proven that to this point, four games into his career, that he is a, stat, a starting caliber player and hats off to the personnel department for identifying him. Yeah, they nailed that one. I mean, people, yep. they pick apart Belichick's drafts and some of it I think is, you know, worthwhile to talk about. I think some of the other stuff that people bring up is a little weak, but you know, when you look at nailing a guy like Anwanu, if he can give you what he's been giving you, that opens up the idea. I mean, not only does Anwanu start for this team and not only does he start and play well for this team but if that all goes according to the plan now that opens up the possibility that we're talking about now you got another option to trade Tooney and bring back an asset or somebody that can actually help you this season you do have a couple of long shots on your piece at BSJ uh you bring up Stefan Gilmore you do say that's very doubtful because he has a dead cap number of about nine million uh so you think that's unlikely you bring up Julian Edelman, I would think that's unlikely because of his age, and other teams have to be seeing what's going on, and I would much rather add to yep. wide receiver than subtract. My interest is at running back, because as part of your long shots, you have Sony Michelle or Damian Harris. What's that all about? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at the numbers. I mean, you know, once Sony Michelle comes back, they're not going to keep five running backs. I mean, so, yeah. you know, you have you have Michelle, you have Harris as the two down backs you have Rex Burkhead is sort of like the go between 
the flex guy. The Swiss can, Army knife. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he can do he can do either job. Then you have James White as the pass back. Then you have JJ Taylor. And so when Michelle comes back, you can't you can't keep five running backs on the roster. You just can't with the, with the you know the that they need tight ends that they need a fullback. Like it's just not going to work. So are you going to expose JJ Taylor to the waiver wire? Or are you going to look to maybe either get something for him or, you know, I have a, personally, I have a hard time because running backs, a collision position, much like, you know, linebacker and safety where, um, you know, you're getting blasted every game. And I just think, you know, the, the injury history for both of those guys is not good. Yeah. And the chances are one of them is going to get dinged up before the end of the year. And what are you going to do now? You're going to go to Burkhead, a guy who is way over his workload you know, I think he's at. I think he's on pace for like 160 touches, and he's never never made it through a season healthy with more than 91 touches in a season. Wow! And yeah, and so you're asking a lot that's, there. That's an unbelievably low number. I know. It, it reminds me of. Uh, it reminds me of Edelman his first couple years in the league, where it was like, remember when he kept getting hurt every year? Yeah, and. It was like I remember doing the calculations. I'm like, oh, every 45 touches, he gets hurt, and then he finally got beyond that. Players do that. You see that a lot. They they go through these injury issues very early in their career, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, they push through it, and 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 it doesn't come into play anymore. And who knows? Maybe that's the case with Burkhead now. But um, I I just I have a tough time. So I'm I'm probably keeping Michelle and Harris, James White is in a contract year. So maybe you talk to teams about maybe trading oh, him if you like want, JJ I want, Taylor. I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. But with what he's gone through personally, I really don't think you can consider that at this yeah, point. Yeah, not only that though, he's just so dependable on the field. Yeah. He's just made so many plays for this team. I I, I don't I'm not there yet on JJ Taylor. He looks nice in a small sample size, but uh, I need James White out there on third down, especially in a big game. I feel more comfortable with that. Yeah, and and look, you know, running backs are a dime a dozen, especially yeah. third down situational small backs. I mean, yep. you know, they you should be able to pluck them from wherever. I mean, you know, look at look at the Carolina Panthers with what they have going on with Mike Davis has made like now you look at it and you're like, why did they even pay Christian McCaffrey? And I don't that's know every why. down back. Yep. So. You know, I if I'm them, I'm either releasing JJ Taylor or I'm probably trying to find a, a home for him for like a sixth or seventh. You know, he was undrafted. You're getting something for nothing and and you know, looking for another guy like that next year. All right, let's see. Uh we did awards last week, but I think we can quickly run through some superlatives because you have some of those on your list as well. So let's run through a few of them. Let's start with the biggest flirt. I went with Nikhil Harry uh, just because I do think, look, <laughs> and you've probably done this, every once in a while his Arizona State highlights like pop up on Twitter or something like that, and you're like, where the hell is that guy? Yeah. Like, that's why they drafted him. The guy who got the ball in his hand and would like go through the whole defense, like sideline to sideline and and run through people and things like that. And And we've seen – like in the preseason last year before he got hurt, you know, these back shoulder, he's got, you know, humongous catch radius type of thing. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be a beast. And so you've seen flashes of it. I have not seen any flashes of it, whether it was in training camp or now in the season. And I know Cam is in his ear trying to get him to play bigger. But to me, he's a humongous flirt because that that player is there. 
they have to figure out how to unlock it. I mean, really, you know, he's got to he's got to gird up and he's just got to do it. He plays too tentative. It's it's driving me crazy. It probably drives them crazy. And and he needs to be. He there's no reason why he can't be. Um, you know, the kid in Seattle, DK uh, Metcalf, DK Metcalf, you know, that type of player. Yes. Metcalf's a little faster, but there's no reason why he can't be one of those guys where it's like, all right, you just put it on them on third down. You know, you yeah. got third and eight, you know, you have him run an in cut, you know, all right. Even if the, the d- defender's body in him, he's just going to push him out of the way and be a power forward type of guy. And he's just not that. Yeah. I, I think with Harry, listen, I, I think we've seen baby steps We've seen some progression. I think he is getting better. I think he is getting more confident. We've seen him at least break some tackles over the past couple of games, and we saw him make that play in Kansas City with the fade route, uh, which, you know, he's showing up. And listen, is it going to be overnight? No, but I I like his progress. I feel more confident in Harry right now than I felt about him a month ago. I feel more confident about him right now than I've really felt throughout his entire Patriots career up to this point. So I'll take the progression when I can get it. And hopefully by the middle of the year, he's the guy that we see on a consistent basis, making some big time plays. Uh, Let's jump down to most athletic. You've got Jennings. Yeah, probably just because of that play I saw the other day. It just sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just sort of jumped out where I was like, I didn't because I, I did, you know, I watched some college film of him and I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed. Um, probably because of the position that he played, which was mostly sort of like a strong side end of the line linebacker for Alabama, sort of a very uh, utilitarian role in that defense and that scheme yep. and not much of a starring role. And I was like, well, they must not think a lot. Of, they must just think he's a two gapper and, you know, get off, hold up blocks and things like that. And so I didn't think much of him. but you know, the more I see him play in space, the more I'm, uh, I'm intrigued that he can, he can run a little, he could jump a little bit and he's strong as hell. I do know that. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen athletically out of him. All right, jumping down a little bit uh, further down the list, what really jumps out at me, honestly, is most forgettable. Uh, Sony Michelle. Some people might say, Greg, Sony Michelle, most forgettable <laughs> when he had that game against the Raiders. Tell me why he's most forgettable for you. Because he just he just gets what's blocked. I mean, you know, if if they don't run well, it's because the line, you know, didn't didn't do their job or there was problems with blocking and they couldn't hold up. If he does have a good game, it's because they opened up humongous holes for him. I mean, he just, he's, he's literally the definition of a plug and play guy that like, you know, you could plug any other running back in there and they're going to get the same production. I mean, you watch, watch when Damian Harris gets more time that, you know, he's going to do what Sony Michelle has done and probably with a little bit more upside because he's a little bit more explosive and uh, and does have a second level where you know you, you see some plays in Sony Michelle, you're like, all right, you know he's he's going to get six yards, maybe twelve yards, but Damian Harris can turn it into forty yards pretty quickly. And so for me, you know, and I'm sure that'll irritate some Patriots fans <laughs> that I call him forgettable, but you know, I just looking through the roster, that's what jumped out that he's just he's he's forgettable in that. He had that one great postseason. To me, it was all about the blocking, and also the people, and also the teams that they played. In terms of the Chargers, didn't have any linebackers. The Chiefs were pretty, uh, pretty soft. Yeah. Uh, the Rams, he really didn't do anything until the you know the game was sort of in doubt, and and that's when the line took over 
again. So you combine the line with the game situations and the opponents. I think that that's why he had that postseason. And, you know, when things are hard, you know, they stay hard for Sonny Michel. He doesn't really overcome them. And, I, and that's, that's no criticism of him. It's just who he is. And uh, I just think that makes him forgettable. Last one before we get to the uh, boss of sports journal.com member question of the day, by the way, uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles rate and review us as well. Yes, please. Uh, one more guy I wanted to talk about was your most improved Dietrich wise, um, man. He, he does look like a different football player. I, I think he's, he's been much more disciplined this year, which is nice to see. He had, you know, a number of penalties last year that drove you crazy, uh, better against the run as well. Uh, tell us about why is what you've seen from camp up till right now. Yeah, I mean, look, we all saw it in the Tennessee playoff game, and it was going on all season before that. But it was, you know, apparent to everybody that, uh, you know, they were having him play basically like, you know, five technique inside, you know, up against the, up against the tackle or four eye, and and he was just getting blown off the ball, and he just couldn't hold up because he was at the time. And really early on in his career with the Patriots, he was more of a 4-3 end. And that's really what he is. And last year, they really went to more of a 3-4, and they they pushed him inside, and that just wasn't his game. And you were just – I mean, even before the season, I was like, you know, they should trade him because he doesn't make any sense in the scheme. He didn't make any sense in the scheme all of last year. Uh, It helped cost them the playoff game against the Titans. And you figured – there wouldn't be all that much improvement this year, but you know you got to give credit to Dietrich. I mean, he and no one will ever accuse him of not being a hard worker. He's one of the hardest workers that I have ever seen in my career covering the NFL. He's always the last one off the field to the point where it's annoying because when you're trying to do a feature story on him <laughs> and you need to talk to him and you're waiting like an hour after practice um, by yourself, but you know, you know, do your work, buddy. I what mean, a, you what know. a journalist complaint that was. Exactly. What a, what a, you know, everybody, a, you know, everybody feel bad for the journalists. Yeah, um, he works too hard. He, he lets me sit there for too long. <laughs> damn it. Exactly. Right, let's get to the uh, bostonsportsjournal.com member question of the day. Of course, you can check them all out over at BSJ for 11 cents a day on their annual plan. Not only do you get top notch analysis of the Boston Pro Sports, but if you're a Patriots junkie and you know, you're listening to this, you are. Then a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis from Greg. Uh, he does that all on the coach's film, and you get direct access to him in weekly chats. Matthew C. sends us a question this week, Greg. Uh, was Bill saying in the offseason that he was confident with the two guys they had on the roster, talking about Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham, just a ploy to drive Cam's price now? Uh, it's a good question by Matthew, and uh before we get into it, one more thing I wanted to say about Wise is that he, you know, give him credit. He got a lot stronger in the upper and lower body, and he holds up much better against the run, which he he needed to do. So he's doing he's doing a great job, and he's still able to rush the passer a little bit. So he's done a good job. But as far as this Bill Cam question, this is sort of a Pandora's box, and 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 what you know what really annoys me or annoyed me during the season, and also in in hindsight once Newton got here is that everybody says, and this includes certain sports talk radio hosts who I do a weekly segment with. They, they, they talk, they talk to, you know, that my good friends, uh, Michael Felger and Tony Maserati at 98.5, the sports hub, uh, especially Felger loves to talk about like how the Patriots, meaning bill was putting out there that Stidham was the guy. This is who they're going with. Blah, blah, blah. 
I just don't I don't think that's factually correct. Like, first of all, Belichick has never said anything publicly about how Stidham was going to be the guy. Right. Right. And I, I I saw a lot of what was written, and a lot of it wasn't really like sourced within the Patriots. A lot of it was just reporters, and we all do this, um, especially with the Patriots, because there's a there's so much mystery with them, is that you look at certain things that they do and you're like, oh, well, they must think this. Yeah. So when they didn't get in anybody in free agency, when they didn't draft a quarterback, when they could have gotten Jordan Love and just stayed where they are, once people saw that they 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 did those things or didn't get a player at those times, that led people who co- some people who covered the team to say, well, the Patriots really like Stidham. He's the guy. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know, you read all the flowery coverage, but that doesn't mean it was necessarily true. I don't think it was true. I mean, I know I talked to people who would know, and they all had multiple people. They all had the same response, which was, well, yeah, you know, we think he can be a good player, but we don't know. And, you know, he's sort of where Jimmy was at the same point in time. He really needs more time, but, you know, we could probably make it work. Like, so I, I think I think it's a misnomer. Uh, that that people that that Bill was going around saying that he was confident in Stidham. I don't think that's the case. So I think that came say, from the journalists. Let, let me push yep. back on you for a minute because people will say, well, some of these stories, especially on ESPN, uh, would say the Patriots love him. The Patriots think highly of him. The Patriots this, the Patriots that. So when a reporter says the Patriots think this, you don't think that comes from Bill. You think that could be coming from somebody else. And if it is somebody else, who has that agenda to try to drive Stidham and his value up a little bit? Well, I don't think it was an agenda. I think it's I think it's a couple things. I think I think you do have, you know, and look, um, you know, on ESPN, um, some reporters were saying that, and some very excellent reporters who have excellent sources uh within the team, like Mike Reese. Mike Reese, you know, when when the radio stations were playing some of the off-season Stidham stuff, like Reese was one of the prominent ones. And yeah. Mike Mike's excellent, and he does have great sources within the team. And I believe he was hearing that from some people. But I also think it's the type of people who um, who maybe were thinking, you know, leading to those extra thoughts themselves. Like, okay, well, Bill's not doing anything, so my history with Bill tells me that this is the reason why. And it's gotcha. because he really likes Stidham. Gotcha. And like there was no because what what people need to understand is that when you cover the Patriots, there are a lot of people within an organization who have a lot of opinions on thing on things, but really only the opinion of one person matters, and that's Belichick. And this goes with the draft, with free agency, with uh, you know who they're going to play at certain positions. Like you know, coaches within the staff can have their opinions, and the personnel department certainly has had different rankings on different uh, positions going into drafts. And then Belichick all of a sudden drafts somebody else. And it's because it's his decision and that's he, what he wants to do. So um, I, 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 even listening to some of that chatter, I found it very surprising that people would, would think that Belichick felt a certain way because really Bill doesn't talk to anybody. Bill doesn't tell anybody <laughs> anything. Now, I'm telling you, Nick, you'd be surprised know, how many. It's just funny. He doesn't talk to anybody. No, no. I mean, there are people within that building who should know certain things, and they're like, I don't know. Like Bill, Bill hasn't said anything, or Bill hasn't, 
you know, that goes on all the time within that building. So, so in general, to, to bring it back to the question, I don't think that, I don't think that there was any grand ploy or anything like that. And I think, I think really it wasn't about what Bill was saying verbally or getting out there that, and I don't think it had any effect on Newton's price being down. I think just his actions that even people around the league were like, well, they must like Stidham because they're not doing anything. Yeah. Where people were negating to look at, well, there are still veteran quarterbacks out there who don't have jobs, who the longer they, the more, the closer we get to training camp, the more the price is going to go down. So to me, Bill was just playing the market. He was shutting up and playing the market and letting any perceived actions speak for him and sort of uh, to get to get the team where he wanted them to get. And and we've talked about this before. I 100% believe from the people I've talked to, they would have signed anybody. Any, whoever that veteran quarterback who was left without a chair could have very, very well been Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. They would have signed one of them, whoever that was, and then they would have been thrown into a competition. See, that's why you listen to this podcast, because the Nuggets like that, my man Greg, uh, with the inside word, of course, subscribe, rate, review the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. Until uh, next time, he's Greg. I'm Nick. We'll talk to you. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, no craziness from the world of COVID will have taken over by then. Um, but we'll get there. And whenever we get there, we'll find out. So he's Greg. I'm Nick. We'll talk to you next time.